Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. My name is Craig Hansen, and today I'm joined by Tushar Bal, a freelance journalist and football writer. Tushar serves as the site expert at BVB Buzz, a Borussia Dortmund blog on the fan-sided network. Based in India, Tushar follows BVB as a fan and also as a keen student of the game. He's sure to be a fascinating guest on today's episode of the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. Don't forget, if you enjoy the show, we urge you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is extremely important to us. We'd like to thank you so much in advance for helping our little podcast to grow. How are you doing? Hi, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. I'm really excited to speak about Dortmund today because Dortmund are, for many people, sort of a second team. You know, it's a huge club that has a lot of respect from fans around the world, and I include myself in that. There's a lot to like about Dortmund, which we're going to get into today. But before we do that, let's take a little trip down memory lane and talk about how you first became enamoured with the club. So do you remember sort of how old you were when you first sort of discovered the club and what what attracted you to them? Was there a particular player? Was there a particular aspect of the club that drew you in? Uh, I would say uh, I was when I was a kid, I used to follow the Premier League quite a bit. But as I grew older, I started following the Bundesliga uh, and the Bundesliga is not like the Premier League. It's it's such a different sort of league, which is uh, like which is not uh, not 
run with, by money. Their, their primary focus is not to, you know, sign attractive and big big name players or uh, stuff like that. But they, they they just do things differently, and that is what attracted me to the Bundesliga in the first place. And of the Bundesliga teams, there are there are so many great teams with great traditions and stuff. And I think Borussia Dortmund is one of them. Uh, that that is what attracted me, kind of like the traditional sense that the club, the the, the principles the club is run on. Uh, their their non-football work it's quite popular, and obviously they're an attractive team to watch. Uh, not not they haven't been as successful of late, but they 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 just do things differently, and that is that is what attracted me to them. Yeah, that makes sense. And and how many years ago are we talking when you first started sort of uh, switching your attention from the Premier League towards the Bundesliga? I think it's it's been like six, six seven years now. Uh, uh, when I was in college, I started following them. Uh, when I started my college and then I got the chance to write for BVB Buzz. So that just helped me fall even more in love with Dortmund, just covering them week in, week out and covering their games, writing about the news stories and writing features and everything. So it's, it's just it's just been a slow step, slow process. And I think like over the years, I've fallen more and more in love with the club. Okay, nice. And do you remember who was in charge at the time, who the manager was and, and who the sort of sort of big players were at that point? Uh, at that time, uh, Thomas Tuchel had just been sacked. Uh, when I when I started writing about Dortmund and I started actually covering them and following them religiously, Thomas Tuchel had just been sacked and they appointed Peter Bosch. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of him. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah, uh, a little bit. He was appointed and he just he had a such he had such a great start, but then he lost a run of games and was sacked like three months later. And that that was an interesting season for sure. Uh, as far as the leading players are concerned. I think Aubameyang and Dembele left that season. So, <laughs> but Shuai had a quite interesting uh, and eventful loan spell for six months. And Marco Royes, he was injured, but then he returned, and he also made a bit of an impact. So that that season wasn't exactly the best season for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, but yeah, they've, they've gotten so much better over the last couple of years, last three four years, and. The only way is up, I think, for this club. And you, you mentioned um, that you sort of switched allegiances, or, or rather, interest from the Premier League towards the Bundesliga. Is there a big movement for the Bundesliga where you are in India? Um, because I remember seeing an interview with uh, Christian Siva, if I'm pronouncing that right, the Bundesliga CEO, and he was talking about how much they're trying to sort of grow the league as a global brand and. Uh, this was a few years ago that I saw this uh, this interview and talking about trying to to get the Bundesliga out there all over the world, just like the Premier League is. I was just wondering, uh, are you um, sort of an example of that? How, have they succeeded in doing that? Is the Bundesliga growing in India? Yeah, uh, and not just in India. I think it's growing quite a bit in the United States, uh, in China, in like pretty much everywhere around the world. Uh, I covering the BBB bus page, I can see fans from all over the world basically tuning in and commenting and retweeting our tweets and, you know, like following the club religiously. 
And I think not just Borussia Dortmund or Bundesliga clubs, even two Bundesliga clubs or second division clubs like St. Pauli, you can see uh, they have such a huge fan following all over the world. And and uh, I, I remember I did my dissertation. I covered St. Pauli and I spoke to a St. Pauli fan who lives in the United States and he watches every one of their games like waking up at uh, seven or eight in the morning and <laughs> and even their games aren't like always broadcast over there so he follows them still like quite quite with great passion and i think that this is what makes the bundesliga stand out it's the passion of the teams of the fans and more than on the pitch they care also about you know off the pitch stuff and different causes every team almost has uh, different cause and they work so hard for that so that that is what makes the Bundesliga stand out like not their money but the passion and the love like that that attracts a different kind of fan yeah that makes sense and you mentioned the that the person you interviewed there from the United States and the the sort of times that they were waking up and difficulty with networks how is it where you are um how does the time difference work sort of if there's an afternoon game, what kind of time are you watching that? I assume for you, it's kind of the opposite. You're watching it like later rather than earlier, I guess. Um, and what about the TV networks? Is it widely covered over there? Uh, yeah, it's, it's covered pretty widely over here. Uh, I think uh, they have a they have a uh, they have a uh, what's it called? I think one one of the networks broadcasts it all, all the games. So it's it's a lot better than in the UK. I've seen a lot of people complain that Sky Sports, uh, who have the coverage right now, it's not good enough, and they only broadcast like two or three of the games every weekend. But here, I think yeah. every game is broadcast. Uh, and uh, as for the timings, the games are at like 7 or 8 or 9, sometimes at 10 if it's the late kickoff. But yeah, I think it's, if it's not the Champions League game, the Champions League games start at like one one thirty sometimes. <laughs> Especially, yeah, so that's a little bit tricky. Yeah, especially during the winters when the clocks move forward. But the Bundesliga games are like seven, eight, nine, so that's that's pretty decent. Yeah, that is really decent because I've spoken to a lot of Americans too for this show, and um, it tends to be, you know, it's still okay that they're, they're all happy with it. But yeah, like you said, seven thirty in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, this kind of stuff. It sounds like for you, it's not a massive sacrifice. Sort of eight o'clock um, at night, if if you're lucky, and. It's not a Champions League game. And even if it is, that's, uh, you know, one o'clock in the morning isn't so crazy. I know that for us Brits, for example, um, who are fans of fighting, you know, boxing yeah. or MMA or anything like that, you know, we have crazy uh, 5 a.m. wake up calls and stuff to watch boxing matches. So it sounds like you're doing OK with, with that stuff, which is uh, which is great to hear. Um, I wondered about where you are um in your community there if you have any kind of sort of bvb community uh do you know any other dortmund fans are you able to watch the games together and have a sort of uh uh like a, a kind of atmosphere there when you watch the games uh actually yeah we do do have a couple of uh fan registered official fan clubs over in india uh but uh not not in the city where i live uh they're 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 in different cities uh, yeah, but there are a couple of Borussia Dortmund fan clubs over in India, and I think they watch the games uh, together whenever they get the chance. Obviously, with COVID, it's now difficult, but there are a couple 
yeah. So maybe that could be uh, a sort of trip in the future, maybe to go to one of those cities and watch a game with the fellow uh, Dortmund fans. Yeah, that would be nice. But uh, since I'm covering the games, I don't think I'd be able to, you know, watch it religiously <laughs> like that. So. Yeah, well, I guess that's something I wanted to come on to now is that when you're watching in more of a sort of journalistic capacity or an analytical capacity, do you find that you watch the games differently now because maybe you're not allowed to just watch it and be like driven by emotion? You have to be a little bit more cold and calculated. How is the experience of watching the matches different in your role now compared to when you were just a regular fan? Yeah, I think you 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 cannot be. Uh, first of all, you have to be less passionate, and you have to be more objective. Uh, and obviously, you you cannot just jump to conclusions. You have to just make like wait for things to happen, and like not just say, "Oh, a team lost, so it's the end of the world." Whereas a fan, you're allowed to do that. Uh, but uh, if you're writing about it, I just try to be a bit more objective, and I try to take things into account, like, for example, when Borussia Dortmund lost against uh, uh, Gladbach the other week, like, everyone was thinking, oh, this is the end of the world, there was no Holland, there was no Royce, so the team failed to get a shot on target, but I was like, okay, no worries, it's just one game, there's so many injuries, you have to take that into account. So I think in that sense, it's just, you got to be more objective, that's all. Was that difficult to do in the beginning, and are you getting better at it? Yeah, in the, difficult, in the, in the, in the beginning, it was a bit difficult, but I think, it, I think I've gotten better at it, and now I can, you know, just uh, write in a more calm demeanor, like, just don't jump to conclusions, don't, don't like, think that every game is the be-all, end-all, and <laughs> it's a big season, so you got to, like, take all the points into account and look at it from different perspectives. Yeah, it's but it's tough, I'm sure. But um, but with time, with practice, I'm sure it's getting a little bit easier. Have you ever managed to see a BVB match live, either over there in Germany or maybe on... Maybe they, they did some kind of pre-season tour in India, anything like that? Uh, yeah, uh, I actually did my master's degree in the UK and I wanted to go over and watch some games. But, I, but when I did my master's degree... To, uh, the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic struck, so I wasn't able wasn't able to go then. So after that, I had to come back. So hopefully in the future, now that the crowds are starting to get back, uh, right now it's not possible, obviously, because they're starting with people like people in the town, uh, in in the nearby like areas. So hopefully, hopefully the coming months maybe. Oh, what a shame though. That sounds like that would have been a perfect opportunity. Like you were really close geographically yeah and actually i when i did my dissertation that was related to german football so i'd even made some contacts uh, at the club and i had planned on you know interviewing them so that covid19 pandemic also like affected that that's that that's not that's uh, that's a good thing where did you study in the uk uh, i studied at cardiff university do you, I suppose it's probably the same thing because of COVID, but did you have the chance to get down to a Cardiff game or anything? Uh, yeah, I got to a Cardiff game. The, the, the COVID pandemic started like, uh, I think, half a year into my uh, into my course. So I was able to, you know, watch a few games uh, in the first half of the course. And you were probably thinking, oh, no worries, no rush on the Dortmund thing. Yeah. I'll get over there. You know, you didn't expect the world to end pretty much, right? 
<laughs> oh no, I know exactly what you mean. I had, um, I think a lot of people had plans like that. I, it, when the pandemic started, I was living in Malaga and uh, I didn't go to any, I, I went to a game eventually, but I, I kept putting it off because I thought, oh, it's okay, I've got my whole life to go to games. And then I went to a game sort of like the weekend before the lockdown started. Right. And then after that, there was no more opportunity to go. And if I'd known, I would have gone like every game in the season for like the six months before that. But uh, you just don't know when these things are going to happen. But hopefully one day you'll get to the uh, Signal Iduna yeah, and see a live game. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I I guess if you could choose, would you choose the Dare Classica? I guess that would be the one you'd choose, right? Uh, it depends. I think the Schalke, Schalke game would be quite quite interesting. I think they they are the ah. biggest uh, rivals for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, so if if they get promoted this season, then yeah, Schalke I would say more than Bayern. How are they doing? Because I know that them going down was sort of uh, you know earth shattering. Are they? like romping the second league are they top of the league flying away or uh, no they're not top of the league at the moment they're actually mid table i want to say i, 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 don't, oh, I don't i don't actually fully know but yeah they're not top of the league so i think i think saint pauli are on top of the league which is pretty cool i would love to see them back in the bundesliga so i don't know how schalke are exactly doing seeing all of the the obviously being in the community and, and writing about it on uh, on a, a a page and social media and everything how is the sort of banter with all of that are the Dortmund fans absolutely loving this current situation with Schalke this capitulation or are they actually secretly hoping they come back up so that they can have the derbies again yeah I think it's been mixed uh, some some Dortmund fans and even some players have said that it's a shame that Schalke got relegated and I, and like some people are hoping that they'll come back up quickly but obviously when the, the relegation was uh, official. A lot of banter took place, and there were Dortmund fans who <laughs> was, did some, you know, tweets about him and everything. But yeah, uh, I think I think it's a uh, they would they would prefer to have the derby and you know to beat Schalke instead of to see Schalke in the second division. Yeah, I can I can understand that. It's it's one of those things, isn't it? You love to have the banter, but then at the same time, they'd love to have that tie, especially now that fans are allowed again or starting to be allowed again. I'm sure that they miss that. Um, from the the lowest point of Schalke to the highest of Dortmund, I wanted to ask you during your time as a fan, so sort sort of you know in the last decade. Um, there's been some highs and lows, of course. There's been some some great moments. What would you say? I know it's difficult to say one, but what would you say has been your favorite moment following the club so far? Uh, I think I think the last six last six or so months have been pretty special for the club. Uh, just uh, winning the DFB Pokal, uh, getting going neck to neck with Manchester City, and only losing because of a couple of. Uh, arguable refereeing decisions I think those were pretty special and I think that Bellingham goal against Manchester City was just such a beautiful moment uh, but I think the DFB Pokal oh, uh, win in May that was that was the most special one I would say. Well speaking of the last six months we're going to now we're going to get into the current state of affairs on the pitch but before we do that we're going to take one very quick break. 
and we're back. So before we come on to this season, let's uh, spare a thought for Edin Terzic. I just wondered how you would rate his spell as interim head coach in the second half of last season. I think it was beautiful the way the way he just uh, took over. There were there were doubts about him. He was told that he's out of his depth earlier when he started, uh, but he he took the criticism in his stride and he just did not like let it get to him. And by the end, he was being linked with Tottenham. He was being linked with so many other jobs. And he, he did a beautiful job. And I think uh, Hans-Joachim Watzke said it best. He called him my hero. And he said that the club was a sinking ship and he helped the club get back up. And I think that's that's a testament to him. He got the best out of his players. He took the team to the Champions League quarterfinals. And he won the DFB Pokal, took, finished in the top four. I don't think there's anything else you can ask for from him. No, I agree. From a caretaker um, under pressure to have done all those things that you mentioned there, what would you say was his biggest achievement? I mean, was it the development of Bellingham, the going, as you said, toe-to-toe with City, winning the cup, finishing fourth? What was his sort of... What will he be most remembered for, do you think? I think uh, it's uh, it's just a mixture of these things, but... Because he he's such a like he's a boyhood Dortmund fan. He went to games as a fan, and he loves the club. So I think he will be remembered as someone who loves the club, who took took over the club in when it was in desperate need of change, and he just brought so much stability and won the Pokal. So I think that that would that would be how he will be remembered. I think it'll be a mixture, but. Pokal win because Dortmund hadn't won a trophy in four years. So the Pokal win, I would say, takes it a bit over the Champions League. Yeah, and I think in terms of the history books, that's probably the thing that people will remember the most. But I'm sure there's lots of other nuanced impacts that he had on and off the pitch. Yeah, for sure. Um, but how, how would we define Marco Rosa's spell so far in terms of the style of play on the pitch because this is sort of the part of the show where pretty much I like to be educated by the guests because obviously I'm not watching every Dortmund game every week. I mean, I can tell from having a cursory glance at the table that, you know, um, sort of Dortmund are up there with Bayern and I guess in terms of results, maybe it's it's been it's been good, but you can tell me more on that front. And more importantly, in terms of the, the tactical side of things, what's changed um, this season? And what can fans expect to see as the as the season goes on? What kind of things is he trying to implement? I think to sum it up in two words, I would say it's been exciting and chaotic at the same time. Okay. Uh, our defense, uh, I think they're conceding a goal almost every game, and they've only kept like one one or two clean sheets. So it's it's not been good on that front. But they're scoring goals pretty much. Scoring more than one goal every game. Uh, last couple of games, uh, they have not had Erling Holland. So he, uh, other than that, when when Holland is playing, they score at least two or three goals every game. And there is more of an emphasis on pressing. There is more of an emphasis on uh, playing attack-minded football. He has changed the formation, uh, and now they play with a diamond four-four-two with Holland being the focal point of it and with Mullen and uh, Royce playing just, just in behind him and Mullen is the second striker. So 
that's that's that formation has uh, they're, they're obviously still adjusting to the formation and doesn't help that uh, I think since the start of the season to up to now they've had at least five injuries that at, at one point and right now even they have like 10 in- injuries so injuries haven't helped uh, so I think for Dortmund haven't fully adjusted yet and they haven't had the time yet to adjust because of a lack of preseason but that that uh that yeah, it's 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 been exciting uh, in terms of the football, and I think it, it'll it'll get better. It'll get more stable in terms of defense as well once all the players are back and once uh, the players get adjusted to the style of play. And I think it's just it's just a matter of when. I think it'll be a really good season for Dortmund. I don't know if they'll be able to win the Bundesliga title or not, but this system. I think can get the best out of the players, especially the likes of Bellingham. Bellingham's putting in good performances every week. He he's starting every game. He's taken his game to a whole new level this season. And even the players, some of the players who were considered to be fringe players, and they're winning over the fans. So Rose is getting the best out of the players, I would say. And I know that you're more level-headed as you said earlier in your analysis but what's the the general consensus among the fans right now is he uh is he being supported are people enjoying this exciting chaos in general yeah definitely they're they're enjoying it uh the only thing is uh the defense isn't really <laughs> keeping clean sheets and they're conceding <laughs> so many goals uh i think they've conceded like 13 14 goals in the bundesliga already so that's 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 not good, and that needs to change. But I think the fans are enjoying it. As long as you score one one more goal than the opposition, I think the fans will go home happy. And we've seen that. We've seen a couple of four threes. We've seen five 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 threes as well. So it's just it's just chaotic fun, and I think fans <laughs> are enjoying that. Once the once the yeah, injury I... curse ends, I think it'll it'll get even more enjoyable because all the fit all the players will be fit and even you know they'll be able to play the style of play Rose wants to in a better manner as well yeah you'd rather win 5-3 than 1-0 I think for sure that that sounds a lot more fun um but you said that there's sort of been issues with defensively mostly because of injuries is that um was there a lack of strength in depth in terms of the defense or or did you have like a Liverpool situation where just all of the defenders are injured or yeah, it was a Liverpool situation actually. At one point, uh, uh, we have five defenders: the Mats Hummels, Dan Axel Zagadou. Uh, they brought in Somaila Koulibaly from PSG. He's a talented young defender. He was in- he's injured. He hasn't played a game. Dan Axel Zagadou hasn't played a game. Hummels he's been struggling with a problem since the Euros. So at and Manuel Akanji he just returned from his uh, post Euro 2020 break. And one week later, he was starting his first game. So he didn't have a preseason either. So it's basically like he didn't have any defensive partners. So we had Axel Witzel start in defense at the start of the season. Oh, my God. Axel Witzel was playing at centre-back? Yeah, for the first two, three or four games. I think he played against Bayern as well at centre-back. That explains a lot. That's crazy. So it really was a Liverpool situation then. Yeah, but they, but they signed Marin Pongracic from Wolfsburg on deadline day, so it's it's a little better now, the defensive situation. 
I get. Would is it true that like maybe Hummels is the key as well? Maybe when Hummels comes back because he's, he's so experienced. Would yeah, Hummels is back now. He's still struggling with that injury, but he's playing again. So that that's good. And I think they've kept a couple of good, decent shifts in defense in the last couple of games. I think they kept a clean sheet against uh, Sporting in the Champions League. So that that's that's a good sign. Now they just need to, you know continue that and show that for a decent like for for the next four or five games and i think i should also point out that the goalkeeper they've signed in gregor kobel he has been like better than anyone could have expected he signed from stuttgart he's not like a household name so there weren't like that big of expectation from him that he would just straight away perform but he has been a revelation i would say well, fingers crossed then that hopefully some of these three twos can be turning into three nils, I guess, soon with uh, with some improvements to the back. But moving to more of the forward positions, obviously, you know, Dortmund has had and still has some very glamorous attacking players that, of course, you know, you know, I'm going to obviously ask you about, obviously. Um, and the first one is Jaden Sancho. Now that he's he's gone, how big a loss was he? And how has he sort of been replaced? Was there a signing brought in, or, or in this change of formation, is there just um, sort of a, a, a different emphasis? What's uh, what's been the sort of solution with Sancho being gone? I think a player like Jadon Sancho is irreplaceable. Pretty much, you cannot like just replace him with another player and expect him to make the same impact. Uh, and that is that is where so- they are somewhat struggling. The, they're still scoring goals and Holland has still got like 12, 11, 12 goals in like seven, I think eight matches. So that is ridiculous. Uh, but they are still missing Sancho and his creativity and his movement and everything. But uh, as you said, the change in formation has brought in Daniel Malin. They've signed him as not a Sancho one-on-one replacement, but as a player to come in and just help improve the, you know, add, add, add a different option, add a different dimension to the attack. He's playing off of Haaland, uh, Haaland in the 4-4-2 for diamond formation. And he settled in decently. He's not, he's not set the world alight yet, but he did score his first goal a couple of weeks ago. So hopefully he will have that confidence now going into the next few weeks to uh, take his game to the next level. And how much will he be missed, not in terms of just, you know, we're missing his creativity, we're missing his movement and everything and, and, and everything great that he does. But I mean, how how big a connection did he build with the fans? Was he able to be sort of loved by the fans? Will he be missed and remembered well? If he ever goes there to play as an away player, will he get a big ovation? You know, all those things. Yeah, he, he built a really good connection. And even in the last game he played, the DFB poke not the last game but the second or third last game he scored two goals in in the DFB Pokal final so he's he's a pretty special player and the fans love him and obviously there was no like ill will from most of the fans to him when he left so yeah I think he'll be remembered fondly for years to come and he he will be given a good ovation when he comes back or if he comes back it's great to hear for myself and I think probably for any um you know, English fans listening, and I think even British, because for the longest time, you know, we just struggled to get 
our players to go abroad and to play in other leagues. And for the longest time, we always said it would be such an improvement for our football and for our national team. And I know that not only England now, but in Scotland, it's happening to various Scottish players. Young players are going abroad. I think it's really cool. And Bellingham in particular, obviously, is one that I love because he's from Birmingham too, which is pretty much where I'm recording from today. So he's kind of a local legend. Um, And it's so nice to hear that Sancho, you know, made an impact and that he will be kind of a, not maybe not a legend there, because I know he only spent a few years there, but he'll be remembered well. Uh, Bellingham, on the other hand, could become a legend, right? I mean, he's so young. How, I guess, what do you, it's difficult to predict the future, but do you see him having a fairly long career there? Because I know it's not quite the same as it was with Sancho and that it is with Haaland with the constant speculation it's not guaranteed that he'll be coming back to England in the, in two years or something, right? Could he? Does he look like he might be interested in staying for the long term? Yeah, if you, if you listen, like if you see what he's saying uh, in his interviews, it looks like he loves Borussia Dortmund and he'll spend the rest of his career here. Uh, the way he said, "Oh, I want to learn German and I want to be a part of the city. I want to be a part of the club, and I want to just like he just seems like someone who actually loves the club and he seems like someone." who is more of a football purist, like a traditionalist, and not just attractive, attracted by the riches of the Premier League. I know Sancho isn't either, but I've, I can understand him wanting to return home. But I think Bellingham is a bit different. And yeah, he might he might end up like staying for a few more years in that sense. I hope so, because I think that would be, again, really, really cool for English football and for the national team. And uh, I think because he could be sort of the future of the England midfield too. I think he's absolutely amazing. So I hope he stays for a little while longer. Um, someone who there is constant speculation about, of course, is Erling Braut Haaland. So uh, what's the current situation over there in terms of the, the the endless media circus? I mean, how much longer do you expect to have him? Um, and is there sort of a contingency plan in place in the club for replacing those goals that I think you said he's already scored something like seven or eight. He's just ridiculous. Uh, his his form seems to never end. What's the plan there when he goes and, and when do you think he will go? Uh, it looks like he might go next summer, but I am not fully like sure that he will because uh, you never know. Uh, I think the fans will play a part and the passion of the club obviously will also play a part and no no other club can offer him he's only 21 and he's he's not like in any rush to go and he's also said so many times that he loves playing for this club and he loves the fans he loves performing in front of this yellow wall and with the fans coming back i think that could help him you know realize that okay this club is where i want to stay so who knows like maybe he'll end up staying but the likelihood at the moment is that he will leave. As for the contingency plans, I I don't know. They're they're, they're being linked with Karim uh, Adiemi from RB Salzburg, and it looks like they're the favourites to sign him, which is which could be another another really good signing for the future. But he's also not someone who would necessarily replace uh, Holland's goals. So I think they might just bring in another striker, like one or two players. They're not going to spend the entire fee they get for him, same with Sancho, but they will spend 
somewhere around 30, 40 million to bring in a new striker. And depending on how Holland's future goes, of course, and how much money they get for him, they might bring in a new striker and then hopefully, hopefully it'll be fine. And do you think given the domination of Bayern, which I think sometimes goes under the radar when fans talk about sort of, uh, you know, different leagues and how they're predictable and, and whatever, they, they tend to forget that it seems like Bayern have won, what is it, nine in a row now or something? Um, it seems like a kind of insurmountable challenge to wrestle the title off them. Is there sort of a fear that this is the time to do that with this arguably the the new Ronaldo and Messi kind of thing? Haaland's going to be the, the future best player in the world, maybe. Is this the time to win the league? And if he goes and you have to bring in sort of a a good, decent sort of replacement who's going to score half the goals, maybe there'll never be a better time than now to win the Bundesliga. Is that something that people are worried about? Uh, yeah, I think the time is now and there is a hope that Dortmund can challenge for the title. But obviously, if they if they can stop getting injured, like so, so many injured players, at least five, and now it's ten. So they need to avoid injuries, first of all. Otherwise, it would just be too easy for Bayern. And obviously, Bayern, they are also a team in the transition under Julian Nagelsmann. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time to you know make a real challenge for the title race. They've challenged for the title race like a couple of times in the last three years. But unfortunately, it hasn't worked out for one reason or the other. And I think this, this year might be a good chance and next season, I don't know if Holland will stay or not, but if he does leave, then yeah, I don't think they can just replace someone who scored 68 goals in 67 games for Dortmund like that easily. And unless they find like the next Holland, which I don't think uh, they will because no one scores 68 goals in 67 games for a Champions League club like these days. No, it's it's like you said, Sancho is irreplaceable. I think uh, Haaland is... Yeah, next level, I would say, yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess one good, one uh, shining light is that sooner or later Lewandowski's going to have to retire, right? So then they're going to have a similar situation of replacing, you know, such an unbelievable striker. So if those two things coincide, then maybe it will even the playing field a little bit and I guess we, we'd see what happens with that. But... Um, moving from the the megastar in the team, I wanted to ask you, for those of us who are not as big Dortmund aficionados as you, who don't really follow the club as closely, who would you say is the most underrated player in the team? Who's the player that probably I'm not hearing enough about that, that really plays a vital role? I could probably name about five... Uh... And I don't think that some go for it. <laughs> uh, Holland and Bellingham get all the uh, praise and uh, everything, but I would say Rafael Guerrero. He plays such a key role for the team, but he goes under the radar. He's so so good when going forward down the left, and his partnership with Sancho. There's been a lot of talk about Manchester United not getting the best out of Sancho. But if they had someone like Rafael Guerrero who makes those forward runs and links up play with Sancho, it does those one twos and you know attracts defenders so that Sancho can you know move in uh, to the middle and uh, that's that's the sort of player they need to you know help them. Uh, another one is Manuel Akanji. He's he's such a class defender. 
he's modern day. He can pass. He can you know, build up play. He's good in the air. He's just just such a good defender. And I think we saw that in the Euros as well against France when he uh, just put in such a strong performance. Yeah, I thought he had a great tournament, to be honest. Yeah, and I think he's just taken that and gotten even better this season. And he's pretty much led the defense and uh, with all, pretty much every other centre-back missing. So he's he's had a lot of hard work to do, and he's been pretty great. Third, I would say Mahmoud Dahoud. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, I have, of course. Yeah, most mostly from FIFA, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he's also developed quite a bit. Uh, he was like, in January, everyone thought that he would be leaving and his career is pretty much over. But then in February, he got the chance in the game against Sevilla. And since then, he's been like a regular starter. He started in like 90% of the games. And now he's got, like, he's got such a good partnership with Bellingham. He's like that number eight and can also play in number six. And does the defensive job well, does the linking up job well. So he's he's pretty key for Dortmund as well. Well, it sounds like it's a positive time with plenty of great players. You only have to look at the lineup, which I did um, in preparation for this pod, and it's just so many great players in the squad. So with that in mind, and with the exciting young coach another exciting young coach that you have now. It seems like every coach in, in German football is an exciting young coach, but the latest one at Dortmund. Um, what would you say are the expectations for this season among the fans? And what would be the sort of baseline expectation, you know, um, below that would be considered a failure? And then what would be the sort of uh, upside that, that you can be dreaming of maybe achieving? I think a uh, title challenge, a uh, challenge for the DFB Pokal and making it to the quarterfinals in the Champions League has to be the goal. And I think that's pretty achievable with the players they have, with the coach they have. If they can just avoid injuries, I think that's pretty achievable. And obviously winning the Bundesliga, maybe getting to the final of the DFB Pokal and getting to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, that would be the, uh, that would be just a dream season for Dortmund. And... In t- speaking of dreams here, and I think it depends on the fan and sometimes the club, the priorities. It's always interesting to know. But in a dream scenario where you could win the Bundesliga or win the Champions League, which one would you prefer? Which one is bigger for you? It seems like an obvious question, but it's not always actually that simple. I mean, the Champions League, obviously. But... I think so, right? But then you hear so many fans who go, no, no, I don't care about that. The league is always the priority. I'd much rather win the league. And I'm like, oh, would you? That's so weird. I would much rather win the Champions League, right? <laughs> I just I just feel like the Champions League, there are like so many big teams and Dortmund winning it would be such an incredible underdog story. And yeah, Bundesliga too, but it wouldn't be such like as big a story, like as big an underdog story as it would if they win the Champions League. That would be pretty cool if if it happened. But I think for the team, the league will be the priority when it comes to to because uh, there are so many good teams in the Champions League that are, that have those hundred million players that Dortmund don't have. So I think that the league will be the priority this season. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the the more likely to win, I suppose. Um, Okay, well, fantastic. Now, we're going to finish off with our little quiz that we like to do with every guest. But before we do that, we're going to take one more very quick break. 
and we're back. So, Tushar, I hope you're ready. Uh, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry. These things are some of them are quite ridiculous and impossible, and that's kind of the the kind point. Of a bit nervous. So don't worry that there's there's often a few of them that stumble everyone, and and that's just the way it is. But uh, but there should be a few on here that will be okay too, I think. So we're going to get started with Do You Know Your Heroes? And the first question is, question number one, who is the club's all-time top goal scorer in all competitions? Uh, is it Mikhail Zark? This one was very controversial because I looked at like so many different things and apparently it's Alfred Preisler who scored 174 goals between 46 and 49 and 51-59. I, I, I actually think that it's it's tied between him and Mikhail Zorg. I'm not fully sure, but I think it's tied. Yeah, there's there's also another person called Manfred Bergsmuller who's involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very crazy. And, and some websites say one, others say the other. And I looked at about six websites. And in the end, I came down with Preisler. But yeah. I think because you referenced Zorg, will give you a point because that was one of the three that I saw mentioned. <laughs> okay, because I, I, I know that uh, there was an interview with Marco Reus uh, earlier this season, and he said that, oh, I'm looking forward to catching Mikhail Zork, and he's like some 15, 16 goals away from Mikhail Zork. So I think that that's why Zork was the one I answered. So if that's probably the one in that case that the club consider, then we'll go with that because I think that's a pretty good bar, isn't it? If the club, if Royce considers him to be the top, then probably he's the top. But yeah, it's, a, it's normally um, that one's quite cut and dry. But in the case yeah. of Dortmund, it was very interesting. I saw like a lot of different um, kind of disputes going on with it. So it's quite cool. But anyway, we're going to say we are one for one. Let's move on to question two. Which player has made the most appearances in a Dortmund shirt? Uh, this one has to be Zork. This one is definitely Zork. Do you happen to know how many? gotta be at least 500 he was at the club for like his whole career he's been at Dortmund for like 40 plus years now as a player and now as a sporting director it, it is above 500 would you like to have a guess uh 550 or please? very close 572 but we are two for two you are correct it's Michael Zork uh number three which member of the current squad has scored the most goals for BVB that has to be Marco Royce it is. I was just thinking that you just referenced it only a second ago. We're referencing all these before they come up. Of course, it's club captain Marco Royce with 142 goals. He started his career there in 2012 and continues to play now. Uh, going a little bit back in time now, but not as far as we were before. Who is the only Brit to have won a European competition as a Dortmund player? Uh, Paul Lambert. Correct. Paul Lambert being, of course, a Scot won that not-so-elusive Champions League in 1997. So maybe you could try and win another one of those this year. But unlike many clubs that dream of it, like the mighty PSG and Man City with 100 million pound players, Dortmund have actually already won that, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, question five, who was the last Dortmund player? This, this one, just so you know, <laughs> this one goes down to the minutiae. Uh, who was the last Dortmund player to score a goal um at a world cup so literally chronologically speaking the the last dortmund player to score a goal in a world cup no oh, this one's gonna be tough it is 
the World Cup. I want to say... Uh, who scored at the 2018 World Cup? <laughs> I can't. I can't think of it right now. You want to throw out a guess? Uh, was it Michael Rice? Correct. Very good. Now that the funny thing about this one is that Batshuayi was there at the time as well. I know on loan, but yeah, I was thinking Batshuayi. That would have counted, but they they both scored on the same day on 23rd of June, but Royce scored uh, s- seven hours later. Okay. So he is officially the the last Dortmund player to have scored in a World Cup. That will, of course, change, I'm sure, uh, next year. But yeah, Batshuayi also scored just slightly earlier in the day. Um, Okay, so we're five for five. Question six. Who was the club's top assist provider in the Bundesliga last season? Uh, That has to be Jadon Sancho, I think. Correct. Do you know how many? Uh, Twelve. Very close. Eleven. But it's correct because we only needed Jaden Sancho. But yes, he scored eleven. So he provided eleven assists in only twenty-six appearances. Apparently, that's pretty, pretty special. Uh, question seven. This one is this is probably the most difficult one, unless you look up this stuff all the time. Of the one hundred and thirty-one editions of Dare Classica that have taken place so far across all competitions, how many have Borussia Dortmund won? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'll just have to guess. Uh... So that there's just to help you that, that there's been 131 in all competitions. So if you're going to do a sort of guess based on that, how many do you think? Uh, 40. Close, really close. 33. They've won 33. Bayern have won 64. And there's been 34 draws. That's in all competitions. Still very, very good. We are six for seven, which leads us on to our final question. This one is we do a similar thing every time with this. It's quite fun. Um, gets you thinking. Aside from, of course, Germany, which country is the best represented in the current Dortmund first team squad? So, of course, there's a bunch of Germans. I don't know how many, like 12 or something. Belgium. Has to be Belgium. According to my research, it's Switzerland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's got to be Switzerland. Yeah, four, four players. And this is because of the very good four players. Exactly. Can you name them? Uh, Roman Berkey, uh, Manuel Akanji, Marvin Hitz, Gregor Kobel, and there's a couple from the youth team as well, actually. Yeah, but in the first team, those are the, yeah. the four, and I suppose it's because one or two of those have only just come in, right? Yeah, Gregor Kobel has just come in, but to, to be fair, I, I, I forgot about Roman Berkey for a second because he's just been frozen out and he, he's not going to play for the club again. Oh, you can't forget such a legend. I mean, he, he's just he's just out. Like, he's free to leave for <laughs> nothing. He's a representative at this point, right? An ambassador. Yeah, he trains with the team, but <laughs> he's not going to play again, I don't think, unless uh, both Kobel and Hitz get injured. He's in the Scott Carson role, I guess. But... Um... But but he's at least he's he's been there a long time, right? So yeah, it, it, yeah. he knows the club. So that's a, that's a good thing to have around the training ground, I guess. But yeah, that you were quite right that um, the next the next second best is Belgium with three. So had Kobel not come in, yeah, then uh, you would have been on the money basically. So very close. But six out of eight is very good, very respectable. Um, before before we go to Shah. Um, would you like to tell the listeners where they can check out your stuff, whether that's uh, writing, audio, anything you do on any platforms? Feel free to plug it now. Well, uh, for football fans, I write 
it's about Borussia Dortmund and a bit of German football for BBB Buzz. So you can find us on bbbbuzz.com and Twitter, BBB Buzz. Uh, and if any of you follow cricket, then uh, I also write for a few cricket freelance websites. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think any of your followers watch cricket, so I won't plug that. I used to watch cricket when I was a kid, but unfortunately now I don't know anything. I mean, my references would be like, I remember Mattia Mullalitharan. <laughs> so maybe he's like 60 now. <laughs> yeah, so like I, I think it's it, cricket's popularity has decreased a lot, so I, I, I don't think I want to plug that. But everybody head over to BVB Buzz to check out all things Dortmund. And as you said, the Bundesliga. There's a lot of great content over there. Thank you so much again, Tushar, for coming on the show. Really enjoyed speaking to you. And good luck for the season. Hopefully Dortmund will be right up there challenging for the Bundesliga title. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you for having me on. It was very enjoyable. And uh, good luck to you as well. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. Catch you later. Thanks so much for listening to the Sportacast Football Stories podcast. Please like, share and leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever else they'll let you do that nowadays. This is crucial to a show of our size. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend online or offline. That really helps a small podcast like ours to grow organically. Head to www.sportacost.com for live streams, data, statistics and much more from the world of football. You can follow us on Twitter at Sportacos.com. You can follow myself at Craig Sportacos. And we'd also love to read out the thoughts and questions of our listeners, so please feel free to tweet those to me anytime or send us an email to show at Sportacos.com with your opinions or your questions, and we'll get to them on the next episode. Thanks again to Tushar for coming on to speak to us today. Thanks so much to you for listening, and see you on the next episode of the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.